In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes cost much more than dollars, we bring you expertise from around the world to ensure that everyone goes home safe every day. The internationally acclaimed Oil & Gas HSE podcast starts now with your host, Russell Stewart. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of OGGN's HSE podcast, sponsored by KnowledgeVine. KnowledgeVine is a leader in human performance improvement training and technologies, committed to reducing the frequency and severity of workplace errors by helping organizations leverage technology to easily create a sustainable safety culture. KnowledgeVine, the evolution of human performance. Learn more at KnowledgeVine.com. And by the time you are probably listening to this podcast, the um, Human Performance in Action Conference will have already been held at the Downtown Hyatt Regency. Uh, that was April the 17th through the 19th. The conference theme was Identifying and Managing Risk, the Science, Data, and Application of Working Safely. But even if you missed the show, I uh, am planning on reserving a few of the uh, remedy books. And if you want to reach out to me on LinkedIn, and if you want one of the best books written on human performance adapted from the nuclear and aviation industry, then you'll want to get a copy of this book. If you reach out to me, we're going to give away some on a weekly basis for the next few weeks. So getting into today's show, today my guest on the show is Jordan McRae. Jordan, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Well, Jordan, we're at the Connected Workers Conference here at the uh, North Center and uh, City Center right here in Houston, Texas. But you don't live in Houston, do you? No, sir. No, we came over from London, United Kingdom. We're based just in central London. Okay, great. Well, is that where you're from? Actually, I was born in the United Kingdom. I'm a military brat. My dad was in the Air Force, and so uh, we bounced around a lot, Turkey, and then found ourselves settled in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. So I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona, went through high school, and then uh, when I went to university over on the East Coast at MIT, uh, shortly after that, I did my few adventures abroad and found myself finally in the UK. Wow. Well, that sounds like it might be an interesting story. Uh, <laughs> we might save it for another time. But Jordan, I heard you say MIT, so that means you must be smart. I try to be at times. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're sitting here face to face, and you're awfully young, but you're the CEO and founder of a company called Mobilis, right? That's correct. Yep. Mobilis, we have a mission of revolutionizing voice communication. So we have some pretty strong convictions around how effective communication can be. And we're here in Houston at this conference to demonstrate how we can bring value in the sector, oil and gas, chemical manufacturing, where sort of effective communication can be life and death sometimes, actually, from what we're learning. And I'm pretty excited to be here and just learn from everybody that's been at the conference. Well, we're going to talk about that specifically, but something that you just mentioned, as far as global health and safety goes and industrial incidents, there's a high percentage of them that's actually can be contributed to either a lack of communication or high noise or isolation, right? Absolutely. And it's pretty intuitive to anyone in any kind of organization that effective communication, however you're doing it, is critical for productivity, for health and safety. And so you can even put dollars and cents to it. I think is a $20 billion price tag related to miscommunication in the industry every year. And that's related to something as simple as just delays, but it goes all the way to accidents and the delays that are associated with those accidents. So it's a big deal. And we sometimes forget, but one of the most used and effective means of communication is voice. You mean it's not text, Jordan? No, it's not text. 
There's nothing that irritates me more these people who want to try to carry on conversations via text. And I actually can't stand that. And so they'll start trying to carry on this conversation via text. And so I'll just call them on the telephone and they don't answer. Yeah. <laughs> There's a generational thing. There's a time and place, right? Text, if you're a tech nerd like me, text is asynchronous communication. It means I get to respond to you when I want to respond to you. I don't have to in real time, be present in the conversation. And there's good use cases for that. Oh, I agree. I agree. Yeah, it has its place, but not to carry on a conversation where voice is just a whole lot easier to do that. So we're talking about this in general. Let's get to specifics. Uh, You know, what's Mobilist Labs and where'd you come up with that name and why'd you start the company? Yeah, we've got a few little Easter eggs in our journey and one of them is in the name Mobilist. I'm a big Jules Fern fan and in uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, Captain Nemo, as you go into his office on the uh, Nautilus, right above his door is an inscription in Latin that says Mobilis and Mobili. Change in the changing is a sort of direct translation. So to be able to change while things are changing. And so I really like that. And so I named Mobilis after that phrase. Well, that's interesting because that book and that movie came out before you were born. Yes. Yeah, but it's a classic. (laughs) (laughs) It's an inspiring classic. It definitely is. Okay, so that's the history behind the name, but why? Why'd you start the company? So there's a story behind that as well. We love stories. Yeah. Okay. I'll tell a few of them. My background, you know, I went to MIT. I was on a Navy scholarship at MIT. And after that, I went to Stanford University. And in both institutions, my background was in ocean and space robotics. So I spent a lot of time thinking about how you build intelligent systems in extreme environments, space and ocean being really great examples for an engineer. And not just examples, but it gives you the constraints. It gives you really tough constraints to force you as an engineer to come up with elegant solutions. And I spent a lot of time thinking about that from the context of kind of like human to machine communication. And then also thinking about what's that human machine interface to these complex systems that we're putting into extreme environments. And long story short, I found myself spending a lot of time in the water scuba diving, very passionate about scuba diving, ocean exploration, ocean conservation. The origin story for Mobilis is sort of linked to an experience I had off the coast of Mozambique with a team scuba diving. And I had a near-death accident. I had faulty equipment. I couldn't breathe. Tried to communicate with hand signs that I was having an issue. The only person that was left within the limited visibility didn't understand what I was saying, apparently, because, you know, I was trying to tinker with my uh, regulator and they responded by just adding more weight to my BCD. So there I was. (laughs) There I was going deeper. I didn't realize until my uh, dive watch went off and told me that I'd gotten down to about 20 meters and still being a stubborn, you know, MIT nerd trying to figure out if I can fix this piece of equipment. And I switched to my second stage and had a problem with my second stage, coincidentally, completely unrelated, but just bad equipment maintenance. And again, tried to communicate to the same individual that I wanted to go up and they pulled me back down and all kinds of one after another. It was a very scary situation. Obviously, I didn't die, but I was shook up by the time that I got to the surface. We had to do an emergency buddy-buddy ascent and everything and got to the surface. And as an engineer, I just couldn't accept that this thing that I love to do, go into the ocean, it comes with its own risks going into the ocean. And we're not meant to be there. We've adapted and developed technology to enable us to go into this environment that we're not meant for. I absolutely agree we're not meant for that. I- <laughs> And so I said, well, we should continue to push that farther. We should be able to communicate by voice. That's where I developed a really strong appreciation for voice. And we were saying this before, you know, there's a place for maybe asynchronous communication text, but 
I think we forget sometimes or we underappreciate how information dense voice communication is. This conversation you and I are having right now, being able to look at each other, there's so much information embedded into how I'm speaking, the words that I'm using, the words that I'm not using. Yep. All of that. Which doesn't come across in a text or an email. Absolutely. Absolutely. I set off on this path of saying, well, how do I bring voice into the ocean? How would I be able to communicate underwater and, and eliminate this challenge that I have and avoid this for myself and for others in the future? And one of the things that enabled me to do is it gave me an excuse to invent because when you scuba dive, you can't have anything in or over your ears because you need to be able to pressurize. You need to be able to kind of regulate the pressure in your body, you can't cover your ears because one way of doing that is sort of like when you're on a plane, you pinch your nose right, and breathe right. out. And so that gave me an excuse to invent because I said, well, if I'm going to be using voice communication, how am I going to hear voice without having anything in or over my ears? And I started looking into bone conduction as a mechanism to bypass the ear and deliver voice communication to the inner ear. And this is something that had been studied way back. Even I think one of the earliest references to bone conduction apparently is Beethoven as he started losing his hearing he would stick a wooden rod in his mouth and clinch down on it with his teeth and stick it to the piano. And he'd be able to feel the vibrations of what he was playing through his teeth to his inner ear. And so that's one of the earliest references to bone conduction. And so we didn't invent that, but we started looking at that as a biological process and being able to enable communication via technology using bone conduction. Okay, so you came up with something you call Moby One. Yes, that's correct. Which, by the way, was Time Magazine's best invention of 2021? Correct, yes. We're very proud of that. Okay, so is this a piece of equipment? What is it? Today, Moby One is a small device that you can integrate into off-the-shelf safety helmets. So we don't design the helmets. We're not a smart helmet company. We're a communications, a voice communications company. And we're particularly focused today on critical communications, being able to go into noisy, dangerous environments and maintain effective communications across teams. So the Moby One integrates into existing safety helmets. It basically disappears as you put it into your harness of your helmet, and it has our patented technology, which is a bi-directional bone conduction technology that allows me to receive audio communication through small vibrations on the back of my head. You can imagine it sitting just behind the ear on the mastoid bone. It allows me to put ear protection in. If I'm in a really noisy environment, I can protect my ears with ear defenders or earbuds. And because that bone conduction is bypassing the ear, it goes through the skull, vibrations through the skull, and the cochlear, the inner ear, is attached to the skull. And so we can send those vibrations right to the cochlear. Though the first-time users will come back and say, it's almost like I have a voice inside my head because I don't have anything in my ears. I don't have anything on my ears, but I just hear the voice. It just sort of appears there. Wow. Okay. So this may have been born out of your experience in the ocean, but you're using this in hard hats, that sort of thing. So this is for industry. This is especially in the oil and gas sector. Exactly. Yeah. We kind of went on a journey of developing this. You know, I gave that origin story for the ocean use case, and that kind of tells us about how we started exploring the technology. And then we started talking to potential users. And one of those users on that list was, you know, oil and gas offshore divers or doing subsea activities. And they said, this is great. I can totally see from your experience and communication underwater is difficult, but I have a whole activity above the surface of the water that's also suffering from ineffective communication. And what you just showed me in this boardroom seems to work and seems like it could add value even out of the water. And that really helped us kind of think about a more ambitious 
version of what we were trying to do wasn't about just creating this kind of underwater communication buddy-buddy system. It was about really rethinking voice communication from the very beginning. I love invention. I spent, you know, again, in a past life, that was my title. I was an inventor. Mobilis came out of my invention notebook amongst many other inventions. And Really? Yeah, yeah. I, I had a very romantic period of sort of living in France with my little notebook and my soldering iron and just developing prototypes of different things that I thought should be in the world. And Mobilis was one of those. And if you think about invention, you know, what we know of voice communication on phones or the phone, if you give Alexander Graham Bell the credit for the phone, that's over 170 years ago. And there's this beautiful picture of not him, but of one of his first sort of users where there's a big metal cone in front of the gentleman's mouth and a big cone on his ears. Right now, we have this setup with this big microphone in front of my face, and you know, I've got headphones on my ear. It's 170 years, and it fundamentally hasn't changed. The idea of communication over a distance is the same. You got to try and get a microphone as close to your mouth as possible, and some headphones or speakers as close to your ears as possible. And I think it's about time that we can kind of break that paradigm because there's some advantages that you can really delve into if you think a little bit different about how to receive and transmit voice. And I said a little bit about the bone conduction speaker that's integrated into the helmet. Well, once we did that, we realized, well, a speaker looks suspiciously like a microphone from an electronics point of view, just operating in the inverse direction. And so where we have a lot of our patents and IP is we're able to take it bi-directional. So it's not just a bone conduction speaker where we send vibrations to your inner ear so that you can hear people talking to you. While I'm speaking right now, of course, there's vibrations going out of my mouth into the air, and that's how this microphone is picking it up. But those same vibrations are going back through my jaw, going into my skull. And that device that I mentioned is also able to pick up those micro vibrations in my skull and act as a microphone at the same time as it's acting as a speaker. At the same time as it's acting as a speaker. That's right. That's right. Oh, wow. Now, I would think that a product like this, of course, my only frame of reference is my mother's hearing aid, you know, or something like that, you know, but they're very fragile. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, they can be, but our Moby One is intrinsically safe. We've had to ruggedize the whole product. We're fit for purpose. Once we got the real tech locked in, then we needed to think about the human factors. Who's our user? Where are they going to be? How are they going to use it? And at the end of the day, they don't want to have to think too hard about this device. It can be a one-time install into the harness of the helmet. They put the helmet on, they forget about it. They just speak naturally as if though they're in the same room with someone. And it's waterproof. It has dustproof. It's intrinsically safe for flammable environments. It's probably about as rugged as you're going to get for this type of device. So Haslock certified and Haslock all that sort of thing? certified C1D2, yes, sir. Okay. Does it run off a battery? Yeah, it's battery operated. So we get about 10 to 12 hours of talk time. So it's meant to fulfill enough capacity for the full shift. And then you charge it overnight, simple USB-C charging that you just plug it in like you would use your radio through the day and then charge it overnight. Are your wireless earbuds or whatever, you just put them in the charger and you go from there. That's okay. right. And it's pretty small. So really, if for some reason you've got someone that's a little bit chatty and the battery runs down a little bit faster that day, you know, they're small devices. They're easy to pair. You just pair and connect. So you can just swap one in out for another and continue on with your shift. So give me a case use. I mean, you've had, a, I guess, since this was the best invention of 2021, 
you had to have had some usage there for it to get that kind of attention from Time Magazine, and now this we're in 2023. So you've had some industry leaders who've demonstrated the technology. Can you highlight any cases or? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I guess one of the key partners that we've been working with very happily is Chevron. It's one of the reasons why we're out here. We're able to kind of follow up with them. We've done some use cases in refineries is a really good use case where you have really loud environments can be up to 100 dB or more. And that use case is an interesting one, right? So if you're in 100 dB, you should be wearing double hearing protection. You should have probably earbuds in and then ear defenders on top of those so that you're protecting your ears. If you have that level of protection on, it's going to be really hard for you to hear any kind of audio coming out of a walkie-talkie. And likewise, if you're in that level of noise, you trying to push to talk, communicate across that radio, there's going to be a lot of noise and that radio is going to struggle to separate the noise from the background noise or your voice from the background noise. One of the key advantages of the way that we do that is, again, it's a different paradigm. A lot of people are looking at how can I apply a noise cancellation algorithm? So that means I take a signal and right before I deliver it to the end user, I apply noise suppression. I try and separate the voice from the noise. That's called far-end noise suppression. What we're doing is near-end voice isolation. So with the hardware itself, we try and get the cleanest signal possible. And then downstream, we can do all the same things to clean that signal up more. But we started with something that was cleaner in the first place. And I mean, a very easy way of saying that is garbage in, garbage out, right? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I talked to one of your engineers so I could try to sound smart about this thing. He talked about how your technology enables what he called remote expert programs and how instantaneous access to remote experts help avoid incidents. What are we talking about there? Yeah, it's this whole idea. If you have operators in the field, and especially we've seen this a lot with COVID, right? COVID has opened our eyes in terms of the ability to not necessarily be in a physical space and be able to operate remotely. And so remote access or remote operator activities are where you might have an expert that's located somewhere else, but you need their input or you need their guidance in real time to do something. It might be a maintenance operation or inspection or something like that. And so there's a certain amount of information that you might want to translate back to them. Maybe you have a camera on so that you're giving them a live video stream so they see what you're seeing. And then you've got an audio stream with them as well. Again, those environments tend to be challenging environments. They tend to be very noisy, loud operation environments. You need hands-free activity. And so a device like ours allows an operator to go into the field and transmit very clear audio and receive very clear audio independent of the environment that they're in. There's another piece to that that we're really excited about, which is, so everything that we've been talking about Up until now, I've really kind of been focusing on human-to-human communication, just the simple ability for the two of us to hear each other, regardless of the environment. Once you've unlocked that capacity, there's no reason why you can't apply it to -to human-to-machine communication. The ability for you to interact with voice-enabled devices or voice-enabled intelligences while you're in the field. And so I think we're going to see a lot of this, you know, a lot of the actors that are here at this conference, a lot of the players, they've invested millions, maybe billions of dollars in artificial intelligence and IoT and data analytics. One of the arguments that I make is that a lot of that is encountering what I call the last meter problem, which is that all of that analytics and all of that intelligence comes up with maybe some kind of conclusion in real time and alert, but those alerts are ending up in our pocket. 
they're ending up on some screen somewhere that we're not able to see because we're too focused at the job at hand out in the field. And I would argue that having a voice appear in your head is hard to ignore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Might be hard to control a few other things too. But <laughs> but seriously, that gap between the alert showing up in your pocket and you not being able to hear it or not feeling that vibration, that one meter between your pocket and your brain, that's a critical last meter problem, I think. And I think a lot of the analytics to the point of wanting to have human action following up from that analytics, we need to be able to better bring the human into the loop. And we think that voice communication is the most effective means to bridging that gap. And so you can imagine, you know, a sensor or an alarm going off and then having people within proximity immediately getting an automated message, you know, hey, Jordan, we've got a sensor reading on station 315. You're going to need to go ahead and check it out. Rather than that showing up as a text message in your pocket that you get too late, you can get it to individuals directly in the field. Okay, now, are we talking about the future or is this happening right now? So we're doing it right now and we're testing out those features, I think. I will say that it's the future because that's got to work 100% of the time for it to be really valuable to users. So we, before we put anything out in the field... We want to make sure that that's stable, that we're not getting any kind of false positives and things like that. But the fundamental idea, like it was a bit of a quip, but it is true, garbage in, garbage out. We already have all the infrastructure and all the algorithms we need to do this. And when I say we, I don't mean me. I mean, it's already been developed by someone else. We don't have to build anything. All of the speech to text, text to speech, transcription, all of that has been basically the same for quite some time. The problem has been the signal has been too messy. And if you give any of those algorithms a dirty signal, they're going to struggle to deliver any real high-level performance. Uh, value. You know this on a day-to-day -day basis if you have Google Assistant or Alexa or Siri or anything like that. In a quiet room, they work great. But you bring any kind of background noise into the situation and within seconds, you're probably fed up with trying to talk to one of those devices. And so our argument is that, well, if we can bring things back to the point where your voice sounds like you're in a quiet room, those algorithms are going to work great again. So I think it's something we can do now, but it's something that we are going to deploy in the future once we know that it's really stable and going to bring consistent value to the users that we envision for it. Wow. Well, Jordan, one of the neat things about being the host of the HSE podcast is I get to meet lots of interesting people and I get to bring to my listeners things that they might not otherwise find out about, especially if they weren't here at this Connected Workers Conference. But what you're talking about here is just absolutely fascinating. I really enjoyed our conversation and I'm happy to bring this to all our listeners. I want to thank you for coming on the show. Before we close out, anything else you want to say? There is one question I want to ask you. You manufacture these things over in the UK or and then we do. ship them over here or what? Absolutely, yeah. We operate worldwide. We manufacture in the UK, so it's built in the United Kingdom. And we do that for a lot of reasons. One thing, just to keep it close to home to us so that we can maintain good quality control and just have really good relationships with our supply chain. But we're operating all around the world. And because we have this intrinsically safe C1D2, we're very present in North America. And I think for over the next couple of years is going to be one of the main focus regions for us. There's a lot of things going on in this space. And I think a lot of the companies in manufacturing, chemical manufacturing, oil and gas, energy in general, renewables is very interesting to us as well. A lot of that is happening here, or at least a lot of the players are developing solutions or initiating solutions here. So, yeah, we manufacture it there, but we ship it over here. Okay. All right. Anything else? Yeah. Well, I just wanted to say thank you for giving me the opportunity as well to sort of reach out to your listeners. And 
look, we're in the early days of really making sure that we can deliver value to our users. We want all the feedback we can possibly get. And of course, we want all the opportunities we can to demonstrate that value. So I think if any of your listeners think that this is interesting, if they think that there's some interesting use cases, do not hesitate to reach out to us. You can reach out to us at info at mobilislabs.com. That's M-O-B-I-L-U-S-L-A-B-S.com. Or go to our website, mobilislabs.com. And we'd love to hear from everyone. Okay, I'll write that down in just a minute. So we'll put it in the show notes so the people who are listening don't have to remember it. So thank you, Jordan, for coming on. This has been a pleasure. As always, want to thank everybody out there for listening. Please tell your friends to listen. Post us on LinkedIn and your other social media. Leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or use the review link in the show notes, please. Please tune in again next week for another episode of Knowledge Vines Oil & Gas HSC Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Knowledge Vine is your dependable partner for full-service human performance and safety consulting. Knowledge Vine error reduction that works. Discover more about Knowledge Vine by finding in the show notes our website link and other contact information, and we'll put Mobilis's information in there as well. And as always, you can simply reach out to me on LinkedIn, especially if you're interested in getting a copy of one of those books. And we'll see you next time. Tune in next week for another engaging episode of the Oil & Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.